I, I want to just celebrate with you just here, uh, just briefly, some things that took place. I told you uh, last week that we were, we were short about $5,000 uh, for our, our event that we call THX. And THX is when we cook Thanksgiving meals, real turkey, real, uh, actually they were instant this year, instant pota- mashed potatoes, um, and lots of other things, and, and a Christmas tree, and gifts, and all of this stuff, and this cost us about $15,000. We were short $5,000 uh, as of last week. On Tuesday, the whole amount came in. So that's amazing, right? I told you it would happen, right? So we can be excited about that. We're, we're super pumped that that took place. Thank you to all of you who gave from the very smallest gift to the largest gift. I want you to know that I value and, and God values, the elders value even the smallest gifts because we don't believe that those are small. We believe that those are big, big opportunities for you uh, to give even, even the, the smallest amount in our world's conception. But in reality, we know that you have bills that you're paying for and things that are going on and you sacrificed. And so we just want to say thank you. Like, way to go, church. I'm so pumped about what God has done through you. I'm so excited about that. Let me tell you why this was awesome, is that we got to hang out with people who don't know Jesus because they came to the THX event in order to help serve in our community because they love doing what we love doing, which is serving people. But we got to uh, hang out with them, maybe tell them about Jesus, talk about why we do these things, why we sacrifice because Jesus has sacrificed for us. So way to go church. And then we got to serve um, uh, more than 185, it was closer to 200 uh, uh, families. Um, and he, so here's what happened. We got done serving everybody. It went faster than it's ever gone before. We got 135 people through the line with food, ready to go out and serve the community in 10 minutes. Uh, that happened uh, with the first crew through there. It was amazing. Fantastic organization on the part of our staff and the, and the people who are serving in that. So thank you if you were a part of that. Uh, got out the door, and then we got to go into homes throughout the city, pray for those people at times, and find out really what's going on with them. But we got to do this hand in hand. Um, maybe we weren't holding hands, but we were <laughs> walking with them uh, and hanging out with people that Um, that may not have known Jesus. And so we're so excited about that. This is what it means to love Jesus and live outward. That's what it looks like, to love Jesus and to sacrifice ourselves, sacrifice our finances, sacrifice our time on Thanksgiving morning. In fact, somebody said to me, said, this is the most productive thing I've ever done on a Thanksgiving day. There's an amplifier that's buzzing right there, and I am a uh, squirrel when it comes to... uh, uh, whatever. So if one of the sound guys could maybe kill that thing for me, that would be awesome. Um, in any case, uh, we had an incredible time with, uh, with THX. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Thank you for coming on Thanksgiving Day. Thank you so much. It is a testament to our community. And I, I just can't even tell you all the things that took place. Thank you so much, Nick. Uh, I cannot tell you all the things. I'm getting better. I, I, can, I can really concentrate better now than I, than I did 10 years ago. Uh, you don't even want to know some of the stories that happened a few years ago, but one of these days I'll tell, tell them to you. But um, uh, I, I can't tell you all, all of the things that took place. Just interaction with the school district that was so blessed by God. 
It was so awesome. Interaction with uh, the principal and the uh, office manager who were there and the employee from Sodexo, which manages the kitchen at the schools. Uh, we had a fantastic opportunity. I could go on and on about that, but uh, we'll leave it at that. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and if you know your Bible at all, you will, you will know that this is not going to feel like a Thanksgiving sermon. So um, enjoy yourself, okay? Uh, we're glad that you're here, and we, uh, I don't want to say we pride ourselves, but we take satisfaction in the idea that we teach on things uh, even when it feels uncomfortable, in season and out of season. So I, I, I'm hoping that that's the case. Uh, what in your life is off limits? What's the thing that if somebody brings up to you is off limits? What's the thing that you tell God you can't have that? What's the area of your life where you're saying, God, I'll give you everything except for this area of my life? Because those are the areas that have control over you. That area is the area that controls your life. And in reality, you're dominated by that thing. It's controlling your life. When you say, I, if, if the pastor brings up this subject, I'm out. And I, and I realize that there's probably many of you in this room today. And you, you may say to yourself, if, if I find out that this church does this, then I'm gone. And I just want to appeal to you on the basis of what, what Christians are often accused of doing. And that is that we are often accused of not hearing the other side, of not listening, of, 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 of accusing other people of things. Um, we're not hearing out uh, the people on the other side. And so I want to extend that same invitation to those of you who would, who would push back and say, I, I don't want to talk about this. And I just want to say... Um, if you're unwilling to listen to what God may be saying to you or what the scriptures have to say, um, is, is that a bigoted response towards Christianity? I just, it's, it's just a question. Is that, is, it, is that a bigoted response if you're unwilling to listen? Is, is that a response that, that, that is out of humility or is that one out of pride that says, um, if this person... Or if the word of God or if God somehow is going to come after me on this, then I want no part of it. If he's God and he's the creator of all things, and I hope that you're considering that, um, does he not have the right, if he gives you life and breath, does he not have the right to confront you in areas and to confront me in areas? The very definition of a Christian is somebody who says from the very beginning, who says, I am wrong and God is right. And the only way that that really takes place is, is, that, is that somebody says, I am willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. So that means that even the things that haven't changed yet, even the things that I don't know that are wrong today that I'm doing, I'm willing to submit to God in these areas, even if it takes me a while to let go of these sins and of these problems, I'm willing to do that. So, it's, it's, it, it may be a little bit of a tough subject, but let me lighten it up a little bit. I was a moron when I was like in fourth and fifth grade. I call myself a moron uh, frequently here, but uh, when I was like in, uh, the, I think it was the fifth grade, maybe the fourth grade, uh, there, was this, uh, there was this girl, and her name was Stacy, and she was from out of town, and she was blonde. 
And um, I like redheads now. Uh, in fact, just one redhead, and that is my wife. And so, um, so uh, in any case, uh, but she was blonde, and she was from out of town. She had moved uh, to where I, I lived as a kid, and I had no idea uh, what I was doing. All I knew is that I wanted to talk to this girl. I wanted to be near her. I wanted to be around her. And so the only thing that I could think of was to figure out how to get on the phone with her. And, and, and so w- what I decided to do was um, every day I would call her after school and I would say, Stacy, I forgot to write down the homework assignment. Could you tell it to me? And every day, Stacy, in her gracious attitude, would, would recount to me the homework assignment. And so I would write that down. And so I, I was quite a ladies' man. I know that sounds uh, amazing there. But uh, so I, I, I would do that. So then when I got into junior high, I, uh, I asked a, a girl by the name of Betsy if, uh, if she would uh, go out with me. All right? And so what going out meant, I have no idea. And so I, uh, Betsy and I were going out. And, um, but I could never quite bring myself uh, to the point at which I would actually hold her hand or really be within six inches of her. I just, it was like, uh, you know, I, I, I still couldn't do it. I was so afraid. And so I remember sitting in church one time and, and, and Betsy was there and my friend was passing notes to me and she was saying, she's saying, you should hold Betsy's hand. And I wrote back to her and said, I, I I don't want to hold her hand because my hand gets sweaty, and I, I just, it's just it's just too much for me, and uh, and so th- thus started my amazing career as a um, ladies' man, and so I, uh, but sooner or later I, I got on in life, and uh, I had people who were who acted as mentors for me, who showed me the ropes, and who told me what should and shouldn't be. And who set the pace for me as to, as to what that should look like, what relationships are all about. And they told me a story about what it meant to be a man. And that story said that I need to take advantage of every opportunity I have to be with any woman. And I learned uh, quickly in that. And I, and I, lear- I learned how to, to be that kind of guy. I learned how to be that kind of person. I, I learned how to go back to them with stories of, of exploits. At a very young age, 15 years old, I started. And so my life is fraught with, with sin in that area. And praise God, as I've, as I've gone on, God has progressively sanctified me. He has caused me to be somebody who's faithful to my wife with my eyes and faithful to my wife um, in, in reality uh, with, with other women. And, and I say that that's by the grace of God, that God has been good to me to show me my faults and, and to, to confront me on, on little things so that in big matters, where it matters uh, the most, it, matter, it matters as well in, in small matters, but in these big things, I, I, can, I can say with confidence that my conscience is clear. But I want to tell you that my life is stained. My life is stained from sin. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Hopefully you're thankful. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 has, has just, what we talked about this last week, we just kind of breezed over it because I didn't want it to be the focal point of the sermon. And that was really talking about sexual immorality. 
And the Apostle Paul says in verse 9, now I just taught on this, and we're really going to pick up in verse 12, but I just, I want to I show you why Paul is coming back to this. The Apostle Paul is talking to people who are um, very much of the world. The cultural narrative dictates who they are and how they should act. Much like I was somebody who, uh, there were people in my life who were dictating how I should act and who I should be. The cultural narrative for this church was that you should just do whatever you want, however you want to do it. It's similar to our culture. I just went and saw the movie um, Moana uh, with my, my kids and, and family, and I, um, I, I hated it. Uh, I normally kind of like those things, but it just, it was, it, I, I won't go into it, but I, I just didn't like it. Um, but one of the songs says this. Now, don't go boycott this movie or blog about it or whatever. That's ridiculous. So, um, but one of the songs says, the voice inside you is who you are. The voice inside you is who you are. That's the cultural narrative. What your voice inside of you is saying, what your self-talk tells you, that is who you are. This defines you. This is who you are. Um, I've said this before. Is the voice inside the members of ISIS who they are? Because they have a voice speaking to them. Is the voice inside the person who's hurt you the most, is that who they are? When, when you allow the voice inside of you to dictate who you are, really what you're allowing is you're allowing the cultural narrative to determine who you are and to act how, um, how they believe that you should act. Let's go into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now stop right there. That's really where we landed last week. And what Paul just said is this. There's a list of sins here. He started out with the worst ones. That, that, that we all look at and we say, oh, that's pretty bad. And then he gets to the ones that we all kind of go, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Swindling somebody. So I cheated this guy out of a few bucks or whatever. And Paul's basically saying, listen, all of that stuff is sinful. So if you believe that somehow sexual sin is worse than your sin of gossip uh, or, or, that, or slandering other people or, or reviling, starting fights and, and things of that nature, looking down on other people. If you believe that that is somehow worse than what you're doing, you have a problem. Because those people, Paul says, are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But let me just also say this, that those who engage in sexual immorality as well, pornea, the word uh, from the original language, those people who engage in that will also not inherit the kingdom of God. But we need to be clear about that. Now, that's the, one of the most abrasive things that you can say in our world right now. 
but we're willing to say it. We're willing to take the heat. We're willing to be called whatever anybody wants to call us because we have the word of God and that's what we're going after here. So he says, and such were some of you. Christian people must understand that all of us in this room, I just told some stories about myself, uh, all of us sitting here are people who are, are sinners on some level and in some way, but all of us to some degree or another have sinned sexually. Doesn't matter who you are. Now, we're primarily speaking to Christians, but this does not leave out the non-believer because the non-believer has to come to an understanding about who Jesus is. Their biggest problem is not their sexual immorality or the fact that they're swindling other people. Their biggest problem is that they, that they do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So, here's what he says. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so he says, you have received the gospel. So, that means this, that anybody that comes through the doors not just through the doors, but that comes into our life or that simply just comes to God and says, the, the truth is, I know how jacked up I am. I know how messed up my life is. I know that these things that I've been doing are causing discomfort for me and for the other people. And even if they're not doing that, there's something inside of my life that tells me that the things that I'm doing are wrong and that there's, I'm just not right with the creator of the universe. Well, what's available to you is that you can be washed. You can be sanctified. Sanctification is simply this, to become somebody who is holy. It's to be set aside for, for a holy purpose. And when God looks at you, when you say, I want to receive what Jesus did for me on the cross, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees his perfection. So he looks at you and he sees his perfection. Now, does that make me perfect? No, I'm not perfect on this earth right here and right now. But what God sees is he sees the son's perfection, Jesus Christ's perfection, and he passes it on to me and he accounts it to me as though it were my own. And he justifies me. So no longer am I somebody who is sitting there under the wrath of God and, I've, and I'm going to experience God's wrath someday and in my life on a regular basis. No longer am I experiencing that, but now I'm receiving the grace of God. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. All incredible things that are available to anybody who's walked in here today and who somehow believes that they're too bad and that they have to, I've got to clean myself up. I've got to stop doing wrong things. No, you can't get into heaven that way. You can't get to God that way. That is you trying to save yourself. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. Now, having said that, Paul says this, I want to confront you on something. I want to bring up some cultural phrases that are being imported into your local church. So he's talking to this church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, quote, all things are lawful for me. And what many scholars believe, not all, but many scholars believe is this, is that they would say, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. And it would, would have been uh, perhaps based on the idea that was put that was put forth by many philosophers, which was this. At the end of life, the body's destroyed and you go on to, to heaven. The, the body just goes to nothing. So what I do in the body doesn't matter. That's what they would have believed during that time. That would be an import 
from their society. They're taking that in, and they're saying that's a part of who we are. Now, the church today does this as well. The church today does this as well. So he says, all things are lawful for me. But he says, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are helpful. You may be allowed to do it. It may not be against the law. But not all things are helpful in your life. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be addicted to anything. What Paul is saying there is he's saying, you may believe that you can do whatever you want, but being dominated by something is what you're going for oftentimes. It's that one area of our life that we say, you can touch anything, but you can't touch that. You, you, can, you can talk to me about what it means to be nice in culture. You can talk to me about social justice. You can talk to me about um, all the good things about Jesus. But when you get into my personal life, that's when I have a problem. And Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, or so you say. But here's the thing. You're allowing yourself to be dominated, and you are not truly free. You're trying to announce your freedom, but you're not truly free. You don't have real freedom. You don't have real freedom because you're really dominated by the cultural narrative. The culture's dictating to you who you should be. And guess what happens when you step out of line with the cultural narrative? Culture is going to come down on you. How many people have been brutalized recently for disagreeing with one side or the other? How many people? It's countless Amounts of people that have been beat up, beat down, shouted down. When you disagree with the cultural narrative with the people around you, there is violence at times. There's a, at least an extreme dislike for, who, for, what, for what you believe and what you say. So oftentimes we end up obeying the cultural narrative in order to avoid not just violence, but to fit in and to be a part of it. It's an extreme form of peer pressure. He says this in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Now that's another saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach meant for food. That's, that, that was a cultural saying, or so we think. It was a cultural saying. Now, why would he say that? Because of the next thing that he says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Why is that important? Because he just said a cultural saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach meant for food. There's an implication there. If you've got the equipment, you should be using it, buddy. God gave you that, and you should just indiscriminately go throughout society and use it. Don't even tell me that that's not true. You can't look anywhere without seeing sex today. That the very thing that was going on in this culture is happening in our culture. Where we say, sex, it's just a bodily function. It's like eating. It's, 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 it's just like living. It's just part of life. 
And you're a fool if you don't engage in sex as often as possible with as many people as possible. Food's meant for the stomach. The stomach's meant for food. Sex is meant for the body, and the body's meant for sex. That is what our culture believes. And it believes it so much that it says this. You should have absolute freedom. All things are lawful for me to do whatever you want to have sex with whatever and whoever and however in whatever circumstance you want. And yet somehow we know that there's something wrong with that because there still are qualifiers. And where do those qualifiers come? Well, it's hurting this person, but it's not hurting that person. Oh, no, but you're making a rule that this can happen here, but it can't happen there. So where did that rule come from? I can tell you where the rule came from. Every single one of us has written on our heart of hearts what is right and what is wrong. Every single one of us has written on us, the designer. Every single one of us knows that there is a God. And the truth is, is that we oftentimes try to suppress that truth. This is what it says in Romans 1, that we suppress that truth in order to worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator who is forever blessed. And so here's the problem with us, is that oftentimes we go and we, we try to start serving the creation. And we say things like this, the voice inside you is who you are. You should serve and you should worship whatever you want. You should go after whatever you like. And so we've done that as a culture. Pornography, huge problem, not just outside the church, by the way. The church has a massive problem with pornography. The, the statistics are staggering. I won't even go into them. It's just staggering. There's affairs in the church. You know what? Follow your heart. Leave your family. Leave your kids. Completely setting aside the damage that that does to the kids in that relationship and to, and to the wife or the, or the husband in that situation is devastating our world. Devastating our world. I was talking to a teacher at, at the Thanksgiving uh, at THX, and he said, it, it, it's such a massive problem. There are kids without fathers. Why is that? These kids without fathers, there's no one to speak into their life. And so he is a man. He's a male. This is a positive thing in our, in our school districts and things of that nature. He's a man, one of very few, I believe, that are teachers. And so here he is. He gets to speak into the lives of these kids as a, as a believer. But why did that take place? Because our culture believes that sex with anybody at any time indiscriminately is okay. The voice inside you is who you are. The cultural narrative says that you should do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it. And what does that do? It creates massive, massive problems throughout our city, but even in, in the low-income areas, it is so much worse than other areas. You have women that are destitute with five kids because of these types of situations. Dad, dads have left. And moms leave too sometimes. 
Some of you have experienced that. I know that. You should have sex with whoever you want. Our culture believes that you should, you should shack up together before you're married so that you can determine if you're right for each other. That you should have sex together and decide whether, whether you like that. The body was not meant for pornea, for sexual immorality. When we say that, I need to try out this relationship before I believe that I'm going to marry this person, what we're simply saying is, I refuse to trust God. I'm not going to trust what he has to say about relationships. When we say, my spouse is no longer pleasing me, or they don't listen to me the way that I want to be listened to, or they don't provide for me in the way that I want to be provided for, or there's no spark, and I've, I've just fallen out of love. You're not the same person that I married. When we say that, and we say, I'm going to step outside of my marriage, that is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual contact between two persons of the opposite sex that are not married. Sexual immorality is any aspect that involves that. Sexual immorality is not just actual interaction with someone or, or, or simply <coughs> the act of sex itself. It is the very thoughts that lead us to that. It's, it's the idea of lust, Jesus says, that when we lust after a woman or after a man, we, we have already made the decision. We've already committed the act of adultery. We've already done it. It's already happened. Sexual immorality is all of those things. Now, the specific thing that Paul is going to deal with here is prostitution. Now, today, I would think, I, I don't know because it's undercover, it still is available. It's just less so. And it's less so because I think our, our society has realized that these women are in sexual slavery, so it's not quite in vogue anymore. They have pimps. They have, they have people who, are, who have enslaved them. But also the availability of pornography that, that, that's happening. And so that can happen in the privacy of, of your home or wherever you want. Sexual immorality is a real thing. And this church believed that they could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And they believed the cultural narrative over the divine decree. And so Paul tells them, you do not understand the grave sin that this is. He's not even trying to prove that it is a sin. He's simply saying, this sin is so grave and it is a mockery of the God that you claim to serve. It is a mockery of that. And he says, he says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So, here, so here's, this is something that I think is kind of a, a mind bender, and that is this, that when you make sex your ultimate, when you say, uh, what I think is who I am, what I think about is who I am. That's going to define me. You can't touch that. You can't enter into that. Where does that happen most? 
It happens in matters of sexual orientation right now. It happens, I've heard it a thousand times. Not a thousand, but a lot. That my wife isn't pleasing me in, uh, in, in heterosexual relationships. I, I've fallen out of love with him. The voice inside me is who I am, and so I'm going after that. And people say, you know what? Go ahead. Do it. Do what makes you feel happy. I know somebody that did this recently. I know they have like four or five kids. And people got online and were just like, hey, man, good on you for walking away from your kids. Good on you. This is a guy who used to be a pastor. He was teaching the word, and, and, and here he is. And he's saying, you know what? What matters most to me is my happiness. How is that not the most horrific expression of arrogance and pride and selfishness? It's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Paul says, your body is not meant for that. Your body, what your mind is telling you, what you think is actually a lie. Now, how, how, how do we deal with this? There's many incredible people, and this is such a tender issue. People who have same-sex attraction, they don't know what to do with it. And they're saying, I'm, I'm so, I'm, how can the church continue to communicate this when all I want to do is love somebody and be nice to them and that it's two individuals. Well, it's the same thing that goes for the heterosexual person who steps outside of his marriage. And that is this. The voice inside you is not who you are. The voice inside you is against God and, and who he is. At the fall, when sin came into the world, what took place there is a, a marring, a distortion of all things that God is and that God believes and, and that God says are true. Adam and Eve in the garden questioned God. In fact, Satan led them to question God and, and say, did God really say? And they, and, and they said, well, he said this, don't do, the, don't do this, don't do that. And Satan comes back to the woman and says, no, God's keeping something from you. Because God knows this, that you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And what Satan said to Adam and Eve was this. Satan said, you get to be the one who determines what is right for you. You get to be the one who makes all of the decisions in the world. You get to be the final decision maker. And God is keeping that from you. And if you've ever read through Genesis, I encourage you to read through Genesis and just go, what happened from the fall forward? Murder, strife, horrific things from then on because everybody has a voice inside their head that tells them what they should do. And it's always against someone else. It's always against someone else. So the voice inside of you, when that, that voice inside of you tells you, this is who you are, this is what you should do, it becomes the biggest problem because of this, because that is not true. 
God is the one who has created life and everything. God is the one who has determined what is and what is not, what is good and what is not good. And so Paul says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That's the antithesis of what our world says. You were created for sex. You should do sex to anyone but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, I don't dream for a second that I know what somebody with same-sex desires is going through. Because I, from what I've read, and I've read a lot on this, it's excruciating. It's excruciating. I have feelings inside of me. I don't know what to do with them. I am not for a moment even suggesting that I think it's easy. But I am suggesting this. More than suggesting it. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't have areas of your life where you say, God, that's off limits. Because your body was not meant for sexual immorality. It was meant for the Lord. My sexual desires must be replaced by Jesus himself. My sexual orientation as I see it or as my world says that it is must be replaced by Jesus himself. How does that happen? I don't believe it happens through the um, gay therapy, the thing that gets lots of headlines. I believe it happens through discipleship. I believe it happens through community. And I believe it's the same process that every Christian has to go through. And that is to say that my money is not my Lord. The body was not meant for money. The body was meant for Jesus. The body is not meant even for your family. The body was meant for the Lord. And when you are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, you are rightly related to your family, to your money, and to sex. He says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. The body matters. What you do with your body matters. The body will be raised. It's not just being destroyed. So he's pushing back and he's saying, what you do in this life matters right here and right now. It matters. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your body is together with Christ. Like you and Christ are one. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. It's Christ in you and a part of you. Jesus is, is in you, around you. He's with you. And Paul's saying, listen, don't you know that when you go into these situations, and in their day it would have been when you're going into the pagan temple, as everyone does after work, go in, pay for a prostitute, uh, have some sexual release, and then go home and have fun with your family. Don't you know that you're a part of Christ? And Christ is a part of you. And when you go into sexual immorality, you're taking Christ there? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. 
It's God isn't distant and far away and disconnected from us. God isn't just out there and he's just kind of letting us do our own thing. God is in here through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And too many Christians don't get it. They have no problem taking Jesus wherever, wherever they go, doing whatever they want. And it's horrific. He says, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Why did he just say that? Because in the, in the beginning of Genesis, Adam and Eve have a little wedding. And God decides that the two shall become one flesh. They were naked. They were unashamed. They enjoyed each other sexually. And what takes place in that sexual bond between the first humans is that they become one flesh. There's a connectivity there. And Paul is saying this. If you think that you can run around and indiscriminately have sex with people and think it doesn't matter, it's just casual, you're wrong. Because every time you have a sexual union with someone, that is creating a real union. And it's one flesh with this person, and it's one flesh with that person. Lewis Smedes writes uh, fantastically on this in a book called Sex for Christians. He says, there is more to sex than meets the eye or excites the genitals. There is no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual people are about it. There's no such thing. He says, no one can take sex out at night and put it away until he wants to play with it again. No one can go to bed with someone and leave his soul parked outside. It may be a chance encounter with a prostitute. It may be your long-term girlfriend or boyfriend. It may be an illicit affair, but you are creating a bond, whether you know it or not. You're creating a bond with someone. You're bringing Jesus into an incredibly sinful situation. He goes on. After, afterward, after sex, the two people seldom feel the same way toward each other again. Anyone ever notice that? Don't raise your hand, please. They seldom feel the same way toward each other again. They may love each other as never before. They may resent each other. They may only feel comfortable with each other. But after intercourse, the rela relationship is not what it was before. And that's because what we do with sex shapes what we are. What we do with our bodies, we do with ourselves. It's impossible to leave yourself at the door. Every encounter of sex involves all of who you are. You may be a, a punk who just tries to have sex with as many guy, uh, guys or girls as you want, but no one does that without exposing their very self 
And so Paul says this, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, what did that just say? It said this, when you sin sexually, it's different than any other sin. Yeah, all sin alienates us from God. It's the same in that respect. But when you sin sexually, it's different than any other kind of sin. Most of us know what I'm talking about, unfortunately. Sex leaves a stain on your life. It doesn't go away. Sex leaves a stain on the other person. Sex is, is, is the ultimate form of betrayal in a marriage when it goes with, with someone else who's not a part of that marriage. That's why swinging is, is just, it's horrific. It's horrific. That's why affairs are so damaging. Sex leaves a stain. There's been multiple articles written in the last couple of years. Time Magazine, GQ Magazine, The Wall Street Journal did an op-ed with Pamela Anderson, no less, all of which decrying the idea of pornography because it is damaging so many people in our society. Young men are unable to respond to women. Men, in general, are unable to respond to real women because they haven't been with real women. Sexual immorality leaves a stain. It affects you in ways that nothing else does. And if you think that somehow the cultural narrative is true, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. The cultural narrative is false. Sex matters. What you do with your body matters. It's not just a bodily function. God created it so that husband and wife, husband and wife could come together and that there would be a union between these two people that is so fantastic. That they could come together and that they could enjoy each other. But so many times... The idea of marriage, they say, sounds oppressive. And the idea of sex and marriage, it just gets boring. I don't know what marriage you're a part of. I'm not saying anything about my marriage. I'm saying this. I'm saying, I don't know what you're doing wrong, but you're missing it, right? You're missing it. You're doing it wrong, right? That's, that's the truth. The cultural narrative says it doesn't matter. But the scriptures say, you sin against yourself in a way that you don't doing anything else. It's damaging. It's damaging. Guys, if you're caught in just this horrible cycle of pornography, it's damaging. You know the shame that you feel. You know how you, how you feel. It's, it, it's not just something you're looking at. It's damaging you. Girls, 
for the relationships that you're in, you feel like he loves me because he's having sex with me. And I'm keeping here, him here with me by giving, what, giving him what he wants. You're damaging yourself. You're damaging yourself. You're sinning against God and you're taking Jesus into that relationship and you're damaging yourself. For the person that's having an affair and says, I need this because I, I, just, I just need, I need more release. You're damaging yourself. You sin against your own body when you're doing that. There's so many ways that this could go wrong. The person who says, you know what, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to engage in these desires because these are the things that I have. You're sinning against yourself. You, you're only hurting yourself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The word temple there can also mean shrine. And it's essentially going to a holy place and defiling it. But the problem is you are that holy place. You are that shrine. The Holy Spirit resides in you. And you are fornicating on the shrine that is Jesus in your life. For you, I'm sorry, you are not your own. I just want you to hear me on this. We're wrapping up right now, and I, I, just, I just want you to hear. If you're a Christian, you do not own you. You do not own you. You don't get to make determinations about what is right and what is wrong. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Why is Paul saying you were bought with a price? Because these Christians are buying prostitutes with a price. What is he saying about them? He just called them all prostitutes and whores. You are whoring yourself, he says to them, after these other gods. But here's the truth. The true and the living God has bought you. He bought you with a price. And what's the price? Jesus went to the cross and he paid with his own blood for you. Whose sin is he paying for? He's paying for my sin. When, you, when I've sinned against myself sexually, he's paying for that sin. I did it to myself, and yet he's paying for it. He's paying for it with his blood, with his body, with his pain. He went to the cross in that instance, and he's paying for that. He went through incredible, excruciating, literally from the cross, pain, and he did that for me. He went to the cross for me, for you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You, you can't 
make those decisions. You can't take Jesus into those situations. You can't enter into sinful sexual contact and somehow believe that it's not damaging you. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Jesus paid for you. And if you can walk into those situations and say, you know what? Forget you, Jesus. Forget what you say about me and my sexuality and who I am. Forget you. My question is this. Do you really know who Jesus Christ is? Have you really given your life to him? Are you truly his? Because those who are his cannot willingly engage and happily engage in sin. I'm not saying that we don't sin. I'm saying that people who excitedly go into sin on a regular basis and never have a thought or a care as to how that injures God are missing something drastically in their life. You are not your own if you're his. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Make it your calling. Make it your life to glorify God. Even in the most private moments of your life, God, I'm going to glorify you with the things that I look at. God, I'm going to glorify you with my desires for other people. God, I'm going to glorify you with my sexual identity. I'm going to sacrifice for you. You gave all for me. I want to sacrifice for you. I want to glorify you. I want to make you famous because I have denied myself and picked up my cross and I've carried it because you carried your cross for me. It's the only response that a Christian can have. Some of you are doubting your salvation right now because you know that you're in sin. And you want things to change badly. You want things to change badly. Those thoughts don't come from people who are not believers. Those thoughts come from people that want relationship with God. The very inkling that you, I want it to change and I want Jesus to change it. That is saying yes to Jesus and no to sin. Just, just the smallest desire to say, God, I, I don't want this. I feel this way, but I don't want it. That very inkling says yes to Jesus. I want relationship with Jesus and I implore you Give up your life of sin and say, God, I know that it's in my life right now. I know that I might even screw up again and again and again, but God, I'm looking to you and I want you and I want you to change my life. I implore you to have that point of view with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for your comfort right now for so many people in here. Lord, for past sin. Lord, there's even people in here that have been sinned against. There's been sexual sin that's been done to them. And God, although I didn't bring it up in the sermon, Lord, I pray that they would understand that that is not their sin. That is sin's effects. 
that are unfortunately affecting their life. Lord, I pray for them. Lord, they, I know that they feel the stain of sin even on their own life. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them right now in this moment. Lord, I'm praying for those that are, that are engaged in sin. Lord, for those that are trying to figure out what to do, they're, they're stuck in a, in a situation. They don't know how to get out of it. You are the creator. And you know how to work every situation out. Or may they know that you, that you can change it. Or may we be a church that's glorifying you in our private moments, in the intimacy of our marriages, in the intimacy of our lives as, as singles. Lord, I'm praying for those that are starting new relationships today that want to be honoring to you. Lord, may, may they set up accountability. Lord, may they set up ways to be honest about where they are. Lord, may people come to them and say, where are you at with this? Are you, are you and her? Are you and him? Are you guys having sex? Because you're, you're taking Jesus. You're taking the shrine that is your life into that relationship, into that bed. And that's, it's, you're fornicating in the midst of Jesus, and that should not happen. Oh, God, there's so many things. Lord, make us your people. Make us holy. Lord, sanctify us even further. We know that you accept us as we are, but Lord, I pray that you would truly change who we are on a regular basis. Lord, that our city would see that. It's in your name we pray, amen.